Hey, welcome to the bullpen session. This is Patrick Lillis, and excited to share the interview I had with uh, Tony Award-winning producer Ashley Latimer. Ashley sat down with me at the Southeast Theater Conference. It's the second interview from SETC, and it was really lovely. You'll hear the conversation. She is uh, very positive, open, and uh, just her personality is infectious. I'm sure that's part of why she is as successful as she is and has all the people who want to work with her working with her because it was just very generous. Um, Not only in the conversation, but I noticed it at the conference. I got to hear her keynote, and afterwards, you know, there's about 50 young artists lined up to meet her, and I realized they all knew her because she's so open on social media and connects and makes sure to respond to everybody and shares and had built up these relationships. And she talks about it in the... um, in the interview, she talks about that she grew up in Tennessee and she did not have a knowledge of how New York theater happened or what was happening there. And she wanted to make sure there was a dialogue for that to happen. And she has clearly successfully done that, uh, as well as gone on to produce uh, shows The Inheritance, the ones on this island where she won the Tony, she worked on The Jungle on the West End and, and a bunch of other exciting projects. And it was great to talk to her, and it was really good because right when I came back from SETC to Shenandoah, you know, I got to see this. There's a thing that students do. It's called Playwrights, and it's original work and short plays that are put up. And I saw about a 20-minute play, fully staged, off-book, directed, produced, all by students, 11.15 at night, uh, full house, 100 students waiting at night to get into the room to hear it. And afterwards, I talked to two students, um, a freshman and a junior, who were producers of that event. And I remember, you know, one of them saying, oh, I didn't know I could produce. I didn't know what producing was till I got here. And they talked about loving it. And what they loved was very similar to what Ashley was talking about, about picking the material, about finding the right director, about working with casting, you know, and, and guiding the whole thing together and, and making sure that it comes to as successfully as possible for the writer. And and I love that they're discovering that they that gift of cultivating art for other people is something that they could be interested in. And I thought, oh, it's perfect. I hope they listen to this conversation with Ashley. Because, you know, with her and also with Megan Kingery, the, you know, the real difference for the, is the relationship to money and resources and, and being able to do it and being able to find people who want to participate at that level and, and so that you can create the environment and the support that the work deserves. And it was really nice talking to both of them. It reminds me of they're both excellent artists, and Ashley's doing projects that are incredibly fulfilling uh, artistically. And so, and it's just thinking about it on another level of how to invite people in to participate. So as early producers and artists who are self-generating work, I think it's a great conversation to listen to and I was really grateful to have SETC uh, connect us, and also it was, you know, it was fascinating. We were both thinking about how, while there, you know, everyone is starting the journey, and Ashley talked about her journey from Tennessee to Pellissippi State to University of Tennessee to New York, and, you know, they're all starting there with their first jobs. You don't know where it's going to take you. You know, it might take you to the Tony Awards. You know, some people hope it might take you somewhere else, wherever that journey wants to take you. But it's it's exciting to see all the directions it can go, and where you know where you don't know where you are right at any point, where it's gonna, where the next thing's gonna lead to, or who's gonna connect, or in Ashley's case, who's gonna hear 
a very exciting, crazy idea that you have and then say, yeah, let's do that. You know, and then all of a sudden you're building a producing career. Um, so it was a lovely conversation. I'm excited to share it with you. It was so nice to talk to Ashley. And with that, play ball. grew up not really surrounded by a theater community necessarily and I started getting involved in theater when I was in high school um, and then getting more involved in community theater uh, my senior year of high school and then in college and I really wanted to figure out how to bridge the gap that I felt between Tennessee and New York and social media was that way for me and so I, I think part of it is having worked in a children's theater for so many years before moving to the city. Um, but then also knowing how much of a challenge it was for me, I'd like to like make that easier for anybody if I can. Did you start to make that connection? When you said New York and Tennessee, was that when you were in New York, you started thinking like, wait, I want people in Tennessee to know this? Or no, it was when I was other still living in Tennessee, um, where I felt like I didn't have a lot of the information that sometimes I would talk to peers of mine who had experience going away to theater summer camps, um, places like Stage Door Manor, or going to New York City every year on vacation with their family and seeing all of these shows. And I just didn't have that experience growing up. I didn't go to New York for the first time until I was 20. Um, and even then I only got to see one show while I was there. I was there for like 36 hours and uh, saw The Lion King just absolutely loved it and I uh, it wasn't until I interned in uh, in New York at roundabout the summer before my senior year of college that I actually got to see a variety of productions um, and that was the first time that I got to see a Broadway play um, and got to see off-Broadway shows and Shakespeare in the Park and just this this variety of uh, of New York theater that I didn't know existed when I was younger. Um, and I would come back and I remember one of my kids at the children's theater asked me uh, while we were doing a show, like about something about Broadway and like they thought Broadway was a single theater. <laughs> right, the Broadway <laughs> like, theater. Yeah, the Broadway theater. And um, they had no idea that it's like a collection of theaters and that it's a designation, let alone that they're uh, is off Broadway theater and all of these other uh, little little pockets of different kinds of theater up there. And so it was, I at times felt like I was drawing my own map and using the internet to do it. And I definitely had mentors who stepped in and helped um, that I was so grateful for. And I, once I got to New York, I wanted to try to give back on that as much as I could. And the, and the giving back was just knowledge sharing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it was a, it's amazing to to realize like not only were you corresponding with everybody who corresponded with you, but it's great. But how did you, when you started when you were before having this awareness, you wanted to do theater. You went to, did you go to college fourth? Did you? I keep wanting to mention on the as I'm recording in my head. I'm like you went to Mississippi State. Right? I did, and I mentioned it because I'm very briefly the. Farm does this college collaboration project where we commission an early career playwright to write a play that three colleges develop independently, but right. 
the playwright rewrites after each production and goes. And Pellissippi State was one of our partner schools last year. I love that. That sounds like something that they would be super into. <laughs> yeah, and they were great. They were actually they were so great. And Gretchen, who taught there, uh, there was she she double cast the play because she wanted to create more opportunity for the students. And I was like, that's twice as much work for you. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, all of the kids were great and the production was great. And, but I, when I read that you went, it, it excited me because I thought, well, okay, you didn't have the access to New York theater. What made you say, I want to go to theater? And you were doing that at Pellissippi, I'm guessing. Yes. You um, I, so I started doing theater in high school. I, was, I really got the luck of the draw on where I ended up being zoned. <laughs> um, the, and I went to Bearden High School, which has a tremendous theater program. Uh, it's rare that you see a high school, uh, especially in like volunteer country where um, obviously sports and particularly football are so important that they pour the same resources into the arts. Um, I mean, our the productions there are like first class. Um, and I found out that the theater program existed. And at that point, I had never seen a play live. I had never seen a musical. Uh, the only musical experience that I had was watching the Donny Osmond video of um, Joseph and the T Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I watched that every single Saturday during middle school. I would get up and watch it. And uh, I hadn't seen a lot of other musical movies even. Um, I went to a very conservative Christian boarding school uh, in middle school. And so that was like the musical <laughs> that I was allowed <laughs> to watch. <laughs> um, and that happened to be the production that they were doing the uh, fall of my freshman year. And I moved back to Knoxville right before classes started. And I basically just like showed up to the theater, uh, the musical theater teacher's room and said, I want to be involved. Like, can I, um, you know, like help with sets or like, I'll do whatever. I'm sure you've already had auditions for the show, but um, I'm willing to like work backstage. And she was like, oh, that's actually a class that you have to interview for the year before. Um, like, that's how... Wow. intensive they are um the, the the tech classes and the musical theater and advanced acting classes are all separate classes that you take and they rehearse during those classes so you have to interview or audition the year before to get into them and she was like but go ahead and take acting one um in the spring if you can and uh, make sure that you come to interviews and auditions and so when i got into acting one that spring, I was like so serious about it. <laughs> um, and I, I've always loved school, but I was homeschooled for most of elementary school and then went to this really tiny uh, boarding school where your learning is very much at your own pace. If you're super into the Civil War, um, you'll spend, or like something like that, you'll spend you know, two months learning like what they wore during that time, food they made, like you'll practice making recipes as opposed to just doing like a quick unit and then you're done. So I was struggling academically and theater was the thing that I was like, I can be really it focused on this and really diligent. Um, and so I, I got into that program. And then once I went to college, I had initially wanted to go out of state for school, but I decided to stay in Knoxville uh, at the advice of uh, my mentor, Zach Allen, who had started the Knoxville Children's Theater, where I started working and doing shows my senior year of high school. And um, 
I hadn't, I decided to take a gap year and then I just, I didn't have uh, the grades to go straight to UT. So I went to Pellissippi and it ended up being an incredible experience. I um, got to take classes in the theater department, but then I also had incredible professors in my gen eds. Um, I had Edward Francisco, who is an English professor and was just fantastic um, and totally like in cahoots with my theater spirit. And ta he taught this amazing Shakespeare class that I got to take. Um, and then I also had a math teacher who understood me for the first time <laughs> uh, named Tony Crossland. And he taking his, I had, I, so I had a friend at the time who talked me into taking this five-hour pre-calc class. <laughs> um, and I... Who you still call a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Amazingly. <laughs> um, and I remember being so nervous because it kind of hit me on the first day what I had signed up for. But then Tony made a reference to rent in the first class. And I was like, okay, I will learn math for this man. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then I transferred to UT after doing, it, it took me three years at Pellissippi and then I did three more years at UT. So all in all, it took me like seven years from high school graduation to getting my bachelor's. I was fascinated just the idea that like, oh, I hadn't seen the play, but I'm gonna go commit to this. And were you a performer during this time? Because one of the things I, I said in the intro, obviously, is that you're producer mm -hmm. um, but did you start as a performer I did I did I started out performing and doing a little bit of tech and then how did this leap happen I by my senior year of high school I I'm I, I feel so glad that the industry is starting to change more towards this but you know we still have a long ways to go and of course 10 years ago this was even more of an issue I like looked around and did not see people who looked like me being cast in roles and I people would say like oh you're gonna be a great character actress like when you hit 40 you're gonna work all the time and I was like well I don't want to spend 20 years not being able to contribute meaningfully to the field um, and so I started considering the idea of directing I talked one of my theater teachers into creating a directing track at at uh, my high school, my senior year. So I assistant taught one of her acting one classes, or a couple of her acting one classes, and then um, we did this like night of 10 minute shorts, me and a few other people who decided to go on the directing track that semester. And uh, that was also when I got involved with the Knoxville Children's Theater, and I started thinking about, like I was like, oh, they teach classes here, like maybe I could help out with that. So I asked to shadow, uh, Zach and Jenny, the other founder. And then when I decided to take a gap year, uh, I asked them if they could create an internship for me. And I said I wanted to work on as many shows as possible in as many capacities as possible because I wanted to be prepared to audition for schools the following year. So Zach and I, both at the Children's Theater and at other companies around town, worked on 17 productions. <laughs> um, and wow. I did everything from stage managing to uh, props uh, to different design uh, tracks. And um, I assistant directed him on several shows and then directed my first show, The Hobbit, during that internship. And that got me on the directing path. And then when I moved to New York, I kind of accidentally stumbled into producing because I made a joke about 
doing a concert at this cabaret venue and the person who programs it <laughs> was like, oh, like we've never done that, uh, a concert of that person's music, like sure, like pitch it. And, uh, and I did, and so that's how I got into producing concerts and then it just so happened that was at 54 Below and the venue intern that night ended up interning in Hunter Arnold's production office that fall, right when they were starting this producing initiative to increase the number of underrepresented producers on Broadway and she recommended me for it. So the rest has been <laughs> just Good a history. wild ride. <laughs> but you, you, did you produce? You had to produce more than one event at Fifty Four Below. You said concert. I did. I did. I kind of uh, became the person who the first concert I produced was called Fifty Four Sings Ed Sheeran, um, which was kind of an offshoot. But then I kind of became the person who would produce anytime there was a, a music artist who was performing in a show on Broadway, uh, we would do a concert of their music. So when Brendan Urie was in Kinky Boots, we did 54 Sings Panic at the Disco. When Ingrid Michaelson was in The Great Comet, we did 54 Sings Ingrid Michaelson. <laughs> I'm going to take this back a little bit because it sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. So you pitched an idea. Who did you Who did you pitch it to? Because then you're, you know, Let's just acknowledge you're working with like legit people at a high level, so it's right. not a it's not an accident. Something has to happen, right? So there's you pitched it. You you had an idea. Somebody heard the idea. They said, "Great, let's do it." Mm -hmm. Then how do they engage you in that? Uh, well, Jen Tepper, who is the programming director for Fifty Four Below, and I had followed each other on Twitter for years. Um, and I had assisted other producers on uh, a couple of concerts at the venue. So when she saw this conversation I was having um, with Alex Boniello, who's a Broadway actor, she was like, this is our pitching policy. And she sent me all of the things that they would need for me to pitch the idea. Um, and then she just said yes. Um, when she saw it, does that mean you were t Twitter tweeting the idea? Um, I, tw I tweeted the initial idea, and then we were emailing right. back and forth about it. Okay. And and what it produced, I'm asking because, uh, mainly for the early career person, it also sure. it sounds like magical, which is great. You know, I had an idea and somebody said it. But then what did producing entail? Uh, getting all of the actors or performers, um, which and finding a blend of people who um, have recognition in the industry. But then it was also really important to me. I've made it... Uh, a kind of rule of mine that anytime I produce a concert there, I make sure that at least one person in the cast is making their 54 debut. So, uh, and I think there, there have been a couple of times where it's like people who have been on Broadway but just haven't gotten to perform at 54, but most of the time it's been people who are new to the city um, or who have been there for a little bit but are still like getting their feet wet. Um, so it's getting the cast together, making sure it's the right balance of different kinds of people who are going to bring in different audiences, that combination. Because all of my concerts have revolved around pop music, um, that blend of people who are going to bring in that, the like finding the music that's going to bring in that uh, musician's art uh, fans, but then also where that crossover is, where someone might be a fan of Brendan Urie, but then like who in the Broadway community might they be drawn to because they have that affinity. Um, and then it's scheduling all of the rehearsals, hiring the music director and uh, working with them to hire the band and uh, scheduling rehearsals for them. 
and then doing soundtrack day of and making sure that the artists are taken care of and organizing things like drink tickets and comps and um, any like special guests. We were really lucky when we did 54 Sings Jason Mraz when he was in Waitress, he came to the show um, and hung out with uh, me and our production assistant, like back by the bar. Um, so organizing so that we'd be able to have him there, but that he could just kind of be inconspicuous. So sometimes things like that pop up. That's pretty great. And my next question is when you're producing, because you're doing that, this is the producing of labor. Right. You're doing the, <laughs> you're doing the sweat equity, the, right. the work. And is is 54, are they are they funding it? Who's paying for it? Who's, who's backing that? You basically, depending on, they have like three different time slots and there are different deal structures. Um, most of my concerts were at 9.30, so that's where they'll give you a set guarantee. And then um, if you sell over a certain number of tickets, then it's a certain split uh, of that door. Um, whereas a concert at 11.30, those are usually the more like wacky, um, like we're kind of, they kind of like let people come in with just like really unique ideas and go for it. Um, the first, we did The Nightmare Before Christmas as a semi-immersive concert experience. Uh, and the first year that we did it, it was an 11.30 show. Uh, and then it sold so well that then we came back the next year and did like a three show run at 9.30. So when you're doing an 11.30 show, it's like an immediate like certain split at the of the door. So then the challenge of, producing those shows is creating a conservative enough budget that you're like, okay, if we get this kind of audience level, uh, we'll still break even, um, but not being so conservative that if it does well, you're like, oh, we could have like added one more musician here uh, and it would have been fine, or we could have like zhuzhed up this costume or something like that. Um, so it's a little bit easier to predict with a 9.30 show be with that guarantee, uh, but it's uh, anything goes at an 11.30 show. <laughs> it's funny, I was listening to your keynote yesterday and the girl, the young person who got up and said, you're living your best life. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate it because I thought, oh, it's, it's because you are who you are. You know, you're also not, it doesn't feel that you're putting on a you're pretending to do something to, you know, you're acting as if that idea of like, right. oh, I'll be okay. To, and to, it seems like it's enthusiasm is coming from you to do this idea and yeah. that's carrying you. And it seems it, it's infectious, you know. When you, Thank you. <laughs> and it, so that, so that you start doing that and, but okay. And you got into the office I'm just going to go from that to like, all right, how does once on this Island happen? So, um, it's a pretty direct line from the 54. Uh, Riley, um, who was interning at 54, then interning at Hunter Arnold's office, put me on the list. And um, Kayla Greenspan, who uh, is my counterpart at Hunter's now, um, but uh, at the time we had never met. And she sent me an email and said, Hunter, and I are, uh, Hunter Arnold and I are creating this initiative. And what was truly wild is that um, Alex knew Boniello knew Hunter from doing Deaf West Spring Awakening because Hunter was a lead producer on that. And Alex had been telling me for like a year, he was like, you've got to meet this producer. You all would get along so well. Your uh, mission statements are the same. Like you operate this and look at the world in a similar way. Like you would just 
you would really, really hit it off. And I, he never said the name of the the producer. He, um, and and it, it took me forever to like put the pieces together to realize that it, he'd been talking about Hunter. Um, but basically, Kayla had me come into the first orientation meeting that they did, and they explained that they wanted to start this initiative, that Hunter, a little bit of a long story short, um, the as they were working on Once on this Island, they wanted to have a diverse set of co-producers and noticed that um, that gap in the industry. And so they started this initiative to help um, women producers, LGBT producers, people of color, people who are all three, um, be able to get into the producing industry and have it be a program where it's like half education, where you're learning about all of the things that it takes to become a lead producer and what a lead producer does. Um, and then half like boots on the ground, cap learning to capitalize um, and working in working groups on the different productions. So on Once in this Island, for example, I because I have a history with social media and marketing, I helped run, we had this Instagram account for our goats that were in the show, and I helped run that and made recommendations on different marketing and social media campaigns that we did. Um, and so they laid this all out, and um, I was like, this sounds like almost too good to be true. So I uh, called one of my mentors and I was like, I just went to this meeting where um, this, well, I, I guess actually I left the meeting and I emailed Kayla immediately and I was like, I'm really interested, like, let's go, um, put me in. And, and then the next morning I woke up and I was like, okay, wait, before I like super get into this, I should double check. So I called a mentor and explained it to them and they were like, call the Broadway League and just see if everything's above board, what they told you and what you'd be eligible for. So I called the Broadway League and I was like, hi, like my mentor who's a member of the league suggested that I call to speak to somebody about this producing opportunity I've been given. And they asked for the name of my mentor and I was like, oh, I, I can't disclose that. And so um, it ended up getting escalated up to like the head of membership or something because uh, they came back and they were like, so we've spoken to this person and they used to be in uh, journalism. So they understand the need for anonymity and they're happy to talk to you. And uh, so they got on the phone and I was like, hi, uh, my name's Ashley Latimer. I've just been given this opportunity from Hunter Arnold. And they stopped me and they were like, oh, I love Hunter. I can't wait to hear the rest of this sentence. And I was like, okay, good sign. And yeah. um, and then I finished explaining it. And they were like, yeah, that's totally, everything he told you is true. So I said yes. And um, we had six weeks to raise our money. I ended up uh, partnering with my friend, Jenna Ashkowitz. Um, and we decided to become producing partners during during those six weeks. And, um, and then we... So what's it mean? Okay, two, two questions I have to ask. One I have to ask is, what made you hesitate? What sounded too good to be true? Because um, I actually want to say, I think there are things. You get in the room and somebody's offering you everything that you think you want. And you're like, wait, can I do that? You know? Yeah, I, I think I just like grew up uh, you know, hearing about like 
scouting scams for models and actors and uh, pr- programs where it was like, oh, if you, you know, do this, then you could get this thing. And I, I just couldn't fathom that. Um, or I guess I, I, I could fathom, but because I was so excited, I wanted to make sure I was double checking, especially because I had a feeling that when I told like my parents or my mentors that they would be like this, this sounds like, like, why would somebody want to just like do this nice thing? And what were they doing? They were offering you a role they were going to teach you, which mm-hmm. was great. That's the, yeah, that's the part that like, Hey, we're going to bring you in and we're going to teach you something. What were they asking you to do? So we had to uh, capitalize part of the production, but it was coming in at a lower rate than is, uh, or lower amount than is typical for a traditional co-producer. And in exchange for that, we were bringing in uh, other, like expertise we had in other parts of the industry. Um, So several of us had marketing backgrounds that we were bringing in and then working with the show and offering that knowledge um kind of in in exchange for the lower threshold and getting that education that's great and had you financed something before i hadn't the closest thing i had come to was i uh had done a crowdfunding thing for a senior project of mine but that was all it was like I think like $1,500 or something. And it was all like friends and family who were pitching in like five bucks here. So I'd never had traditional investment calls or anything like that with, um, with investors. How was that? Uh, well, they have the program designed. So the idea is that it's a four show program. You're not, if you commit to the first show, it's not like you have to do all four. Um, you could do one and be like, oh, this actually isn't for me. Or um, I, I don't think that I want to go on to be a producer. I just kind of wanted to learn what this looked like. Um, but the idea is that if you do the four show program on the first show, when you have investor calls, um, Hunter and Kayla, like, totally take the reins. You just kind of listen in and follow along and see what that looks like. Uh, On the second show, when you're doing calls, you run the meetings together. On the third, you run the meeting. They are there in case you start to like go off a cliff. And then the idea is that on the fourth show, you're running your own meetings and they're there if you're like, this investor asked a question I've never been asked before. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're a resource. Resource, yeah. And, 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 and are these investors that had invested with them before or just general broad people that are? They're people that you're bringing in from your own network. Yeah. Um, and that part of the training is like, you start out and you come to them with a list of, these are people who, I, who are in my immediate or extended network who I think might be interested in Broadway investing. Um, and then when you go through that list, or if you count and you're like, I don't think I know anybody who would be interested in this, then they help you uh, go through things like, well, if you went to college, like, what's your alumni database? You know, uh, who who out there like majored in theater or minored in theater or did the theater club, but is now a, a doctor in New York <laughs> uh, who might be interested in investing or who is... Uh, somebody from your hometown who like loves and supports theater, um, but maybe hasn't gotten the opportunity to be involved in the in Broadway theater. Raising a little bit of money to do a showcase downtown is a lot different than calling somebody from your hometown that you went to college right. with and saying, "Want to invest in Broadway?" Right. And I love the fact that they, 
you know, te- uh, th- this is now about my uncomfortability of feeling like I come from a little depravity, uh, deprivation of money, you know, and thinking like, do I have that? Do I have that? But them saying, I'm going to help you identify the resources and then how to ask. That's like a, that's a, that's a master's class. Absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, they have been incredible uh, about teaching all of the people in the program that because so much of it, you know, especially in our culture, there's this discomfort talking about money or um, when you're starting out, it can feel like you're asking people for money, especially for those of us who've come from more of the nonprofit side where when people give money to the theater, it is a donation. Um, And so learning how to kind of flip that understanding and think of it as like you're actually inviting them into an investment opportunity the way that any other investment opportunity uh, would present itself. Um, but potentially a more fun <laughs> investment opportunity. Well, it's funny to say that because I was thinking my first thought when you said it is right, you have to then re reframe the art that you're loving because you're like, oh, right, and it's an investment opportunity. The, right. you know, and also there's the thing that I think about, which is you're asking people to participate in something that they'd like to participate in in the way that they can. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not, if they're a doctor, they probably shouldn't stop doing that so that they can go right. in, <laughs> once on this island. Right, but it's a way for them to be involved with something that they might be passionate about. Yeah, that's, that is great. Um, what are you working on now? Um, we, as a company, uh, have The Inheritance, which is uh, on Broadway until March 15th. Uh, and then Jenna and I are also co-producers uh, in our own right on that production. Um, TBD Theatricals is the name of Hunter's company. And we have um, Little Shop of Horrors off Broadway right now. Um, and uh, we're co-producers. Uh, the company is a co-producer on, like, so many shows opening this spring. Um, and then I am working on a production called Row that's uh, going to be at Williamstown this summer, which is about the first woman to cross the Atlantic in a rowboat. Um, and it's got this amazing, like, rollicking folk score. Uh, and it's just also an incredible true story. Cool. Uh, and then we're about to open... Uh, Unknown Soldier at Playwrights Horizons, uh, which was Michael Friedman's last musical that he uh, wrote before he died. So that's been uh, a really special. That's amazing. Both of, uh, both of those are amazing. And when you're when you're now co-producer and you're in the office, is it? What do I want to ask? I want to ask like, are any are you are they brought to you as part of that office as TBD or? Mm-hmm. And you're, are you working in that office? What did you? Yeah, I work in the office in a creative development capacity. So my day-to-day focus is on finding new projects for us to work on and helping move them through the creative development pipeline. Um, or finding projects. Roe is something that had already been developed significantly and was ready to go to Williamstown, and we're coming on board for that, so uh, Kayla and I are both working on that one with Hunter, um, and so <laughs> the like weird nature of my position is that I most of my projects that I'm directly working on I can't talk about yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but but day to day I'm uh, reading scripts. 
podcasts, reading books, reading articles, uh, watching movies that we might be interested in, adop- in adapting, um, and going to readings, meeting with up and coming uh, creatives, and uh, making sure that we have a, a stable of um, of emerging artists that we could partner with on projects that we're developing. And uh, and we also have started this living room reading series uh, for new or for emerging playwrights to have a chance to hear their work read out loud, um, but in a very like laid back, uh, low stakes, <laughs> loving uh, setting. I'll, because everyone listening to this will want to know. They'll be like, "How do you find that emerging?" But how how are you finding it? Are you, yeah, how are you identifying them? That is who the farm is serving. So <laughs> I know everyone who's listening is like, "Me, pick me." Right. Well, we have. Uh, we're really happy to have an open submission policy. So if you go to our website, TBD is in dog, theatricals.com, um, you can submit plays and musicals there for consideration. Um, And then I also find artists by going to readings that we get invited to, um, but also going to showcases, um, having friends recommend their friends' work, um, just keeping an eye out for like little concerts and and readings and productions that are going on around the city. I think it's it's great. And it's great to, to, you know, as I'm thinking about the audience that I imagine are listening. And I think about the idea that you're doing these exciting, I mean, all the projects are great. I mean, the inheritance is fantastic. And obviously once on this island did okay. <laughs> um, and, but all of it is great. And, and but Row sounds, um, and the musical at Playwrights Horizons and just, uh, which I've been reading about and all of a sudden my name is skipping me. So. Unknown Soldier. Thank yes. you, Unknown Soldier is, they're all, incredibly artistically satisfying Mm -hmm. and what I think is amazing is the shift is just being able to shift that perspective to to do it and figuring out how to do it on a larger format you know how to do just starting at below 54 right (laughs) you know when you were thinking about that is is 54 below is uh is um is elevating the work and and not and, and thinking about on the scale in which you want to work at and, and right. I'm like who and what allowed where do you think that came from how do you think that um I think that I mean a lot of it came from um having Zach uh encourage me when I was in high school and college I think the fact that when I was like will you create an internship for me um, and he said yes, and and that kind of taught me that that idea of sometimes you just have to ask for what you're looking for. Um, but I think also I've just kind of had that ingrained since I was little. Um, I feel like this will kind of sound silly, but I I learned to read when I was two, so I've been basically a lifelong reader. And I because I was homeschooled when I was younger, and then went to a really small school. I spent uh, a lot of my uh, childhood and and adolescence um not like fully isolated from society but not out in like a huge i didn't have a lot of like large community experience um until late middle school and then when i started high school and so i think a lot of it was that i i read all the time and um in so many of the books that i read 
the you know the the poorer you were the more like disadvantaged you were um the higher stakes your situation was the more likely it was that you like could be the hero or like change change your circumstance dramatically um and so i kind of just approached my career with that narrative idea of like if i write this so to speak it can happen <laughs> I, yeah. well it's kind of it, it's great we just uh, i was just talking to christine bruno bruno uh, about being your own advocate mm -hmm. and also hearing you say like oh i can be my own hero right you know <laughs> you can write that story and i'll be the hero of the story and this can change the the, the narrative and the trajectory and i i i Listening to it, I go, I, lo I, I, I love it because I think it's, it's what we all, it's what people want. Mm -hmm. You know, you sit there and we're, we're at the Southeast Theater Conference and right. everybody who's going down there for their first job is hoping mm -hmm. to, to go much higher. You right. Know? <laughs> and, and I think like, oh, what doesn't need to stop? doesn't need to stop and I think that idea you know it, it it's by creating opportunities and it's the idea of saying uh, can you create this internship for me right. or this opportunity for me at the children's theater because and from that you learned you know you did 17 shows you learned everything I would right. imagine you learned every aspect of theater by doing that many <laughs> shows when it came time to produce you're like I can do that I can do that oh I don't know how to do that and that person wants to teach me yeah I think it made me very open to just being curious. Um, and I think that it also created this habit in me of like the more things felt stacked against me, the more I was like, oh, well, like this is always the part in the story where like if you just keep going, then then it can turn around. Um, and I mean, even up to I, the, the winter that, um, that's uh, Once on this Island opened and then, going into that spring and award season um, was a time that I, uh, one of the most poor times of my life as an adult. And I mean, I grew up uh, in poverty and so I was used to that. Um, but I like, I remember just weeping to one of my best friends um, because I couldn't afford a ticket to go to the Tony Awards. Um, that you were going to win. <laughs> so uh, that would, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and um, That's how it turned out. Though. Right. So like <laughs> and, um, and I was like walking around that winter with massive holes in my boots because I couldn't afford new shoes. And, um, and then a friend stepped up and said, I'm gonna get your ticket. Um, and then uh, once, that barrier remo was removed, I was like, I don't have anything to wear. And then another friend stepped up and said, I've got your dress, I've got your shoes. Um, and then a former roommate's mom was like, I'm sending you jewelry from my company. Um, and then when we won, um, several of my friends and mentors uh, started this secret group chat and they all put money in to get my Tony Award. So so like my physical Tony Award, like state is at my best friend's house um, because initially it was because I was still subletting. Um, I just finally was able to sign on to a lease in the city for the first time this past August. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't wanna move this around to different apartments. Um, but I decided to keep it there because it's a reminder to me of like, I share that award with the community that 
got me there and and literally physically purchased it. Um, and that talk to me about purchasing it. Why? Why? Just oh not, yeah, no one, no one will know about that. <laughs> yeah, um, I certainly didn't. Uh, you, if you win uh, a Tony Award, so if you win as like an individual, um, actually. I'm not all the way, I, I don't know if they have to, I know that like, if you like, if you win as a producer, you have to, uh, and maybe this is true for like acting winners and stuff too, but you have to buy your Tony and it's like over $2,000. Um, so <laughs> uh, it's it's wild. And then there are like all of these like little like rules about what you can do with it and stuff. Right. And um, And so even when we won, I was super excited, but I just kind of, took it as settled that I wasn't going to be able to actually get uh, the statue. Um, and then my friends all rallied for that. And I think that's why I was focused on, that's why I was interested about the financing, because at what point, while you're doing this work, at what point do you make a living? Because it's, it sounds like a full-time job, and it sounds glamorous, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I'm... I'm getting this internship, I'm getting this, op not an internship, but I'm getting this education, I'm getting right. this opportunity, and I'm, but the only way it happens is if you do the work. Right. Well, and I was, uh, you know, Hunter and Kayla are really wonderful about understanding that everybody's coming from a different background. Um, and a lot of times when you're first a co-producer, like you're, you're working other jobs while you're getting that uh, stabilized. Um, and so I was working at the time, I was freelancing for a bunch of different things. So I was doing some assistant work. I was walking dogs. <laughs> um, I uh, was basically just like taking whatever odd job showed up. Um, and then, and the great thing about this was that they weren't tying us to like a forty-hour unpaid, ten to six every day internship, which is t unfortunately can be pretty common in the industry. Um, it was like you can do this whenever. So sometimes that meant that Jenna and I were like on the phone at midnight, you know, updating our spreadsheet of who we had contacted and like what stage they were at. Um, sometimes it meant getting up super early before uh, going into a shift at a different job. Um, but we were able to tailor it around our schedules, which was really, really helpful. It was, it was tough and it was definitely still a lot of work, but it was manageable. Right, that's the part that I was, I was, you know, when I was reading about actually, and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, it sounds when you when you said, oh, this sounds too good to be true. Well, the thing that the only thing that ever scares me about too good to be true is it feels like it's going to put me at risk. Right. Like I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna have to work really hard, or I'm gonna have to come up with this money. Right. You know, and and who is this? Per thank God, the person who you called said, oh, right. we love him. You right. <laughs> Because it gives you faith in it, and then you realize because you have to measure how much of a commitment am I going to make, right? And th and then you reap the reward of the work. You get to share in that. And did you sign on to be participate in the four sh for you to do the four show commitment of working? Um, well, I it's it's show to show, um, but I did I did stay with it. Um, the inheritance was mine and Jenna's quote-unquote graduation show um and so we're still very much like the hunter and kayla's hope the, they would say at the beginning is like we hope that you'll still like want to work with us as now traditional co-producers co um and so that's our plan um but i also am uh now that i'm the creative development position that i am that i'm in is full-time um and 
So I am mostly focused on projects through TBD now, but there are sometimes things people will approach Jenna and I with, with other projects. Um, and we consider those on a case-to-case -case basis. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it's great. And then I, I was going to say, like, at some point it turned into, it's good that it turned into the, the job, but also all these yeah. other opportunities are turning into yeah. something, I'm hoping. Yeah. I So bef I just started in this position um, in August. Um, and it was great because it was right when Hunter was wanting to start expanding TBD, I was, uh, well, I thought <laughs> at the time I was about to finish up with uh, The Lightning Thief um, because I thought, we all thought at that the tour was going to be the end of the road uh, for this part of it. Um, and then there would be some transitions and some people would move on. And uh, and then 10 days before tour ended, they are one of our lead producers called me and he was like, so we're moving to Broadway for a limited 16 week run. And, um, and I was supposed to start my job at Hunter's five days after the tour ended. So I was really, really lucky that both Hunter and the Lightning Thief team were super gracious and understanding, um, and they both agreed to let me do both. <laughs> um, so I, so from August through early January, I was working full time at TPD, and then also working full time doing the Lightning Thief. Um, and I was really lucky that I had team members on the Lightning Thief too, who like if I, if an event was during my normal like work hours at Hunters, like they could, would go and cover it. And so I could not have done it without help. But, um, but yeah, that this is now I'm like in this new phase where I have like this stable like Anchor position that I go to you. Um, and I worked at a marketing agency for about seven months. Uh, starting like five months after I moved to the city until uh, almost my one year and just after my one year anniversary. Uh, but the two years in between that were um, freelance work and, and working on the Lightning Thief tour um, and then working on other little projects. To kind of what, were you, what, were you, what are you doing for Lightning Thief? Oh, I was running all of the social media. So I was the brand strategist for the show. So I ran all of the social media, and then I also advised the producers on um, different strategies show-wide, um, whether it was like how we wanted to price the show, like weighing in on that, um, or how we wanted to reach out to potential um, partners for different partnerships and communities, um, or different initiatives that we wanted to put forth. Uh, so I really, that show was kind of just like a super serendipitous fit um, because I was able to bring all of my background of working with young people at the Children's Theater for almost a decade and my literary background um, and understanding of the young adult and middle grade novel world that the original Percy Jackson books come from um, into the theater world and uh, and bring my social media knowledge in as well. Um, so it was mostly social perfect. media, but a little bit of a, a wider focus as well. It's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, I love, uh, yeah, I love hearing because I'm listening going, oh, you get to do, you're, you're doing everything you want to do. It seems like. Yeah, I, um, I feel really, really lucky and thankful for the people who have said yes to being on my team. I, um, I 
it's been a lifelong dream of mine, even longer than working in theater, to be a writer. Um, I wrote my first like short story <laughs> when I was five or six. Um, and it was through working on Lightning Thief that I met my literary agent because she's also Rick Riordan's agent. Um, and we just sold a picture, my first picture book to Abrams Books, um, and now Congrats. I'm working on a novel. That's great. So, <laughs> And, and uh, that's fantastic. And this is the thing I'm gonna ask, what the heck? You, so you're, you're working with them and the literary agent, mm -hmm. and at what point do you mention you're also a writer? So I actually, I didn't. Um, our uh, casting, our original casting director, um, who's one of my favorite people, not just because he set this up, but Jason Blitman, he uh, told Marietta, my agent, um, when, so when we did the off-Broadway run the spring of 2017, and then that August did a cast recording release um, like concert, which Marietta came to and Jason knew that I was planning to leave the marketing agency that I was at um, to do some assistant work for uh, Andy Blankenbuehler and then see what other projects came up. Uh, I was also assisting Tim Federley at the time. And I also wanted to um, get back to working more on my creative work and so I had a novel in process, which I've since set that one aside for a little bit, but he told Marietta that I was working on it. And so she came to me uh, at the concert and she was like, a little bird told me that you are working on a young adult novel. And uh, she asked me to send her the manuscript when it was ready to be looked at. Um, and then a few weeks later was when Once on this Island happened. And so <laughs> my writing went on the back burner for several months. Um, and then I ended up working on the Lightning Thief tour, um, like a year later. And so, well, I was still like working on the novel, but then in the midst of that, I had an idea for a picture book and I emailed her and I was like, I'm still working on getting my novel to you, I promise, but I have this other idea. Um, and so we went back and forth uh, and, and finessed the idea for it. It started out as a, uh, like an alphabet book um, and has now become a traditional picture book. Uh, and so we went back and forth for with different drafts for like nine months. <laughs> uh, and then this past August, uh, I sent in a draft that she was like, yep, this is ready to go on submission. And she offered me representation and... That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad the little bird said something. Me too. <laughs> Pretty great. Um, everything is... I, Two questions I want to ask, that I should ask. One is, sure. what is, what do you? It sounds pretty clear to me, but what do you carry into the room today that you that you might not have carried when you were before you were in calculus with the rent teacher? <laughs> um, I think more confidence in uh, my story and just like feeling more comfortable with myself. I definitely like grew up feeling like bold um, and scrappy, but not as sure of myself as I feel now. Um, and I think a lot of that has come from, I really carry into the room that I'm not really working on behalf of myself. I'm working on behalf of the young people who might need to see the work that I could put myself in service to, to help get out there. Uh, and I think that that, what's been really great about working in producing and writing at the same time is that 
Um, with writing, I feel like I'm helping get stories I can tell out um, to young people who I feel uh, who I who I wish I was well, stories that I wish that I had had when I was their age. Um, but then with producing, we get the opportunity to create space at the table for other people's stories. And um, I have often said that I'm not into the term like new voices because these voices have always been there and they just have been uh, not given the platform or resources to to amplify uh, into the mainstream. And so that's kind of what we get to do with producing. And so I, I carry more confidence into the room, but it's a confidence born of wanting to be in service to the work and to the people who and you need said, to see it. You said, that sounds great. And it actually sounds like when you talked earlier, you just dropped in the phrase, your mission statement. Mm -hmm. you know, and that sounds clearly what it is. And you said confidence in your story. So that, and, and by that, what does that mean? Your story meaning what you have to offer? Yeah, I, um, when I was really little, I was a skinny, poor child of a single parent. And so almost every book I looked at, especially because I read a lot of like British uh, children's books, I was like, oh, like I'm the main character. I'd see myself and, um, and being white as well. Um, and then when I uh, got older um, and uh, now like I self-identify as fat and non-binary, like, those stories weren't there. And I really started to, especially in high school, I never saw myself being anything other than the joke or like the friend who did a lot of stuff for people just so that they could like get to hang out. <laughs> um, and so I have a lot more confidence in, um, in framing myself as someone who gets to be the main character as a fat queer person. Um, and taking ownership of that. I think that's great. I think having ownership of you being the main character is pretty, I was gonna say, what advice do you have for, that's my last question, is what advice do you have for anyone who's starting out? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, it's, uh, I think we're living in this cool time where sometimes people are starting out when they're 50. Um, and so often we think of starting out as like when people are young, but I think that the best thing is to, um, to start finding work that you like, but also get started making stuff as soon as possible. Um, so often we can, you know, think like, oh, I've got to absorb all of this stuff before I can start making things. And sure, like if you have just seen your first play and then you start writing a play, like that play might that you're writing now might, might not, not be, you know, your first Broadway show. <laughs> um, but, you know, get in the arena as soon as possible. Because I think that that also engenders a lot of empathy. Um, this this industry, it's it's. I think it's often easy for people to get beaten down and then to start become cynical about other people's work. And you go from you know, it's very easy to go from loving the field to being like, well, I could have done this better. And I think the sooner that you get into it and you're making stuff and you know how hard it is and um, and how long of a road it it can be and how many stops and starts there are and all of that. It gives you a greater appreciation for, for other people's work, I think, and for the, 
difficulty that it takes to get something up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. Go into the arena and make something, not only so that you can make something, mm -hmm. because you should, but because it will give you empathy for right. other people. Right. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty funny. I don't think people think about that a lot, because it's true. The more you, when you're, when, when you are actively working, you're not envious and bitter. Right. You know, you're it's easier to keep your eyes on your own paper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was great. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. much. Hey, that was lovely. It was great to get to talk to Ashley. I was so glad she took time out at the Southeast Theater Conference to do that. I was glad SETC connected us. And, you know, I really loved her advice at the end, just the idea of don't wait. You know, I had a very good friend, Ed Vassallo, who said something incredibly inspirational about, you know, not wait, make the art now, make it now. And, um, and I think we teach that a lot. Like, there's, you know, there's not a barrier. You know, you can do it and wait and create opportunities for yourself. You know, don't wait for someone else to give you a job. And I think that it's great, but I also love that other thing she talked about, which was, you know, getting yourself in the arena gives you empathy for others who are trying to create. And, you know, it's true. When we're busy, we... And when we're investing, when we're putting ourselves fully into our art, when we're trying to make it the best, when we're vulnerable, we really appreciate the efforts of others better. And I think when we have the empathy, it's not only do we appreciate what they're doing and can we see it, but we also want to help. You know, it's like, hey, I see what you're trying to do there. And uh, and how can I make, you know, how can I make it a little easier for you to get there? And, and that's what we want to create. We want to create a community in a world where we're helping each other and we're, you know, and we're not going to help each other just, you know, it, it, that energy comes from when we're doing something. We know that, God, it wouldn't it be great if I just had a little assist. I think I've said that. I think I said that in the last conversation, just if anybody helps administratively in some way, how valuable it is. And, and I think it's just that's it. When we're putting ourselves out, we attract people to help us, and we help. And the people who you attract are the people who are doing the work. Also, it's the same way that you're attracted to those who are doing the work. And so that's really great. And the other piece of advice she gave about being the main character in your story, I think it's really, really important because whatever obstacle you're thinking about, it's like you know what I can solve this. It's something Chisa Hutchinson said too. You know, I'm creative. I'm imaginative enough to solve this. And I think it's good to think about that when we're thinking about just what we want to build, what we're creating, where we are in our career. It's not that we won't work with others, not that we don't want their help, not that we don't need help, but, you know, you can do it. And uh, and it's, you know, lovely to talk to Ashley from, you know, hearing her story from Tennessee, from Pellissippi State, to Tony Award winner. You know, you can do it. And uh, so I look forward to hearing your story that you're the main character of i get look to hear how you're entering the arena and what you're building and you know share that with us we're uh creating the podcast which is exciting i'm happy that you're listening and you know i'm going to ask for your help to you know rate it on itunes the five-star rating i've learned uh, over and over again that it does draw people to listen so that's great appreciate everybody who's rated it and you know, tell friends about it, and but mostly go out and make stuff. Go create. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. And with that, we're out. Mm -hmm.